Um, but yeah, my name's Scott uh, McNamara, and this is my wife, Che. Uh, and I've been on staff for nearly three years at Causeway Coast Vineyard in Northern Ireland. And Jay, how did, how, um, introduce yourself. How did you meet Scott? Tell us something about Scott we won't know. And, um. <laughs> <laughs> something legal. <laughs> Hello, um, I'm Jay. I am married to Scott, funnily enough, for uh, 11 years last month. And um, we live in Northern Ireland, Korean, beautiful part of the country. You should visit if you haven't. Um, I'm 39, I'm a full-time mummy. Um, we have four children together, um, nine, six, three, and one, so it's mental for those mummies out there that know that. <laughs> together, yeah, together. And um, we met at Bible College, actually, in Northwood, London School of Theology. Um, we spent five years in the Watford area, and uh, yeah, that was like 2003, so wow. something that you don't know about Scott. Yeah. He's going to be 40 tomorrow. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> Very good. Very good. And um, what's... Um, I'm going to ask you guys just to share some more of the story at, at Causeway Coast and um, introduce us to what's been going on with Jesus at the door and stuff, tell a few stories. But um, uh, what would be... What's your heart, your prayer for us for today and for this weekend? You've, you've come a long way. Um, what, what's on your heart for us today? I'll let Scott share more of that um, in a minute, but um, yeah, I'm just so blessed to be able to come and be free of my four children. <laughs> Let's be real. A weekend in London with no children, so good. Um, but just like, I suppose our heart together is that, um, you know, for Scott, he, he feels like really passionate about equipping the church and firing up the church in evangelism. Um, although I don't do the street stuff like he does, I like to nurture them when they come in. You know, we, we, we lead a new believers group once a week. And so I love meeting them and just loving them. Um, just going for coffee. Love going for coffee. <laughs> um, what else did you ask me? Uh, I think, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the TV was yeah. I'll just sit down and let you um, go. Say whatever you so want. So I'll just share really quickly, and then I'll let Scott take over. Um, so I'd been telling Mike there that actually, before I met Scott in t about 99 or so, um, I had been in a vineyard church in Exeter. Um, long story there. But anyway, I was moving back home again to my parents, and I was like, oh, I love vineyard. I love what they're about. I love their heart. I love the worship, you know. Um, it'd be great if there was one back home. But I know there's one in Belfast, but I don't think there's one up you know, on the coast. And then somebody said to me, actually, there is. And I was like, ooh. So I got a number. And whenever I got home, I, I phoned this number. And it was a wee Irish voice on the other side. It was Catherine Scott. Some of you might know who she is. Um, and I said, I explained my situation. And I was like, can I come? And they were like, we'd love you to come. <laughs> um, and we're actually going bowling because at this point, there were six of them. They were all family. It was Alan, Catherine, um, her sister, her brother, and her mom and dad. Um, it was just beautiful. So there were only a house group at the stage. Um, and so I went along to the bowling night that they were having, and I won. How good is that? Um, so they had to keep me after that, you know, to have on their side. Um, but just, for, I was kind of there for the first first four years of it starting um, and it was just amazing like you know it was just from the very beginning was like um, how does how do you phrase it if you the Lord spoke to them and said 
if you go after the lost, I'll look after the church. And that was kind of the theme from the very beginning. That was the heart, um, you know, so they didn't have to worry about building the church because if they went after the lost, that would build the church, so to speak. Um, and they did start off with a lot of servant evangelism, free giveaways. I mean, I remember when there were six of us, eight of us, we, we used to go to like the student accommodation with a bag of groceries and just say, like, we just want to bless you. Here you go. And they were like, what's the catch? We we're like, no catch. You know, Friday afternoons when every, all the school kids are in the town center, free cans of Coke, free lollipops, stuff like that. You know, we, we didn't see a huge amount of people come to faith then. Um, but over the years as that grew and we got to, you know, start taking it that step further. Um, yeah, so, and then I went to Bible college, met this handsome chap and I'll let him t talk to you from here. Oh, she's off. Thank you. Yeah, just, just to answer, you know, Mike's question on, on what's our heart for this weekend, what's our heart for today. Um, you know, just again, I, I don't want to keep highlighting Amanda, but just like that, just, that's just the heart of this thing. And I guess like, you know, she represents you guys as well in the heart. And, you know, this thing is about equipping everybody to share the gospel. That's my heart. Like I, I was a person who didn't know what I was doing, but the Holy Spirit said, you know, will you, will you go? All I want you to do is obey me. And I didn't know what I was doing. I fell flat on my face, uh, all these kind of things. But I, I love Jesus so much that I just wanted to give him something. Uh, and my obedience felt like the, the one thing I could give him. Um, at that part of that place in my life, I didn't have much to give, if I'm honest. Um, but So what I want to do is I just want to put this thing into the hand of every single believer and say, you can do it. You can do it because there is a harvest. You know, I've had so many prophetic words over this. Uh, just the past couple of uh, uh, places I've been teaching this, uh, people have said, look, the Lord's going to raise you up to, to teach the church how to, how to reap. And the truth is, is that we're, you know, this is it's harvest time. Um, and we, we, not just, not where I live, but where you live. Uh, you know, I was in Birmingham last weekend. Um, two weeks before that, I was in Bedford. Uh, same things. We've seen the same things everywhere. It's the same Jesus, it's the same Holy Spirit. If, if they've got blood running through the veins and a beaten heart, then their, their potential uh, for salvation. You know, so it's just trying to like shift the mindset uh, of this whole thing, uh, which I believe today we're going to do that. So I believe you guys are going to leave this place and you're going to feel different about, about evangelism and you're going to feel different about yourself and, and how you can do this. So what, what, should, we, what should we touch on? Because I know we're... Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. <clears throat> so for me, I was... Um, I started going to Vineyard Church. Me, me and Jay met in Bible College, and we started going about six years ago, uh, or seven years ago, wasn't it? Because uh, we were at Bible College, then we moved back and all these different things. Um, so we went there, and the Lord just said to me, look, just go and serve. Just go and, just go and serve. Just do your thing. Uh, just go and love people. So I didn't kind of go in there and think, I'm going to try and get an evangelism job. Or, you know, I didn't even know I was an evangelist anyway. All I knew is that I, I couldn't shut up about Jesus. And then someone told me there was a name for that. Uh, so I was just kind of, you know, I was winging it and, and whatever. But, but for me, this is what happened. When, I'm, when I first got saved in 2001, I came from a cocaine addiction, alcoholic background. I was in the gutter. I had a near-death experience when I seen, where I seen the gates of hell. And Jesus rescued me from dying. Um, in that moment, I, soon after that moment when I got saved, 
I knew this was real. And do you know what I felt? As soon as I met Jesus, and I met him in a powerful way, sat on some steps outside a building, um, inside a building, and I just, I, the Holy Spirit filled me there and then. And, and, and there was nobody there. There was nobody chatting to me. Just the Lord met me. And from that moment on, I felt, the way I describe it is I felt God's heartbeat for the lost. I felt it. Nobody told me to feel it. I didn't read a book on it, how to feel God's heartbeat. You know what I mean? I didn't listen to a series of teachings on it. I met Jesus and I felt it because we became entwined when I met him and I fell in love with him. And, and we became as one. And then I felt it, boom, 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 boom. The lost, the lost, you could feel it, just like what you were saying. Just felt it all the time, everywhere I looked. I could see it, I could feel it. And that's how it began. Now, I didn't know what I was doing or how to do it. And, and to be honest, everyone I spoke to, they were kind of looking at me with blank faces, like as if I was like, had two heads or something, when I talked about wanting to talk about Jesus with people. Um, so I knew I was kind of like, at the time, I felt like I was a little bit alone. So I didn't know what to do, how to do it. So I got saved in Liverpool. Um, I was knocking around with like millionaire gangsters and all crazy stuff like that. My mate from school is a big drug dealer. He's now a millionaire, lives in Dubai. Um, so that, it was all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, that, that wasn't me, that wasn't who I was. I was a musician. But all these, all these gangsters loved me because I was a little bit different. You know, I wasn't there trying to be the next big kingpin. I was like, I had the guitar out, boys, just have a sing song. So, so I always got on with these boys, you know what I mean? And, they, and you know, they always hung out with me and things like that. But I remember one day, soon after I got saved, there was nobody sort of from the church who were particularly doing this in any way, going out and sharing Jesus. But I knew that the, the darkness that I came from, I knew there were, there were so many people living that life of darkness. And I couldn't just sit by and, and let them carry on. So what I did, I got, the I got the bus from Liverpool on a Sunday morning into the town <clears throat> and I just walked around. I just said, Lord, show me what to do here. You know, show me, who do I speak to? Just looked around. There's a person over there. Oh, yeah. Come on. It's getting holy now. <laughs> That's cool. You keep that on. I like that. <laughs> Makes me feel it. No, put it on. It's nice. <laughs> I'm going to have to make sure it's a, it's a deep, poignant point now I make after that. <laughs> it's ethereal music in the background. So, uh, so I just started sharing the gospel with people as I spoke to them. And I was like, do you want to come to church, man? That was it. I was like, do you want to come to church? Do you want to come to church? And I just used to try and find people to bring to church. I did that for, for a while. On a Saturday afternoon, we're going to the town. I remember the first week, I said to the Lord, uh, will you bring the people to me? Uh, now, I had no like mentors and that's nothing, just the Holy Spirit. But to be honest, he's the best one anyway. He's the best mentor you could have. So I was like, Lord, you just show me who to go for. So I walked into the town. I remember my first time, I was bottling it. Stood in Liverpool, Lime Street Station, by myself on a Saturday afternoon. And I was just looking around. Turned around, some, some boys, like these thugs, were at the top of the stairs. One of them looks over at me. He's like, hey, I know you. Like that. And I'm like, you know, is he talking to me sort of thing? And, and he's like, I know you. Like that, comes down the steps straight over to me. He's like, I know your face, man. I know you from somewhere. I've never met the guy in my life. He's like, where do I know you from? Where do I know you from? And I was like, well, I don't know, but listen. And then I just shared Jesus with the guy. That was when it began for me, and I realized that, hang on, I've got to let the Lord lead this. Because before I'd done it, and to be honest, I felt like I was getting like shutters, just shutters in my face. I was, I was one of them sort of headless chicken evangelists where I went around going, anyone with a pulse was like, hey, 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 hey. And when I was here and I was there running around like a madman just trying to witness to anybody. But nothing was happening. It was like all the shutters up. And I realized what I was doing was, in my zeal, I was going ahead of the Spirit. And I wasn't letting the Spirit lead me. Um, and then this one time I went and I just said, Lord, you show me. And he showed me. 
and, and I began to rely on the Holy Spirit. So this happened anyway uh, for, for a while, and I just began to do that. I didn't see uh, amazing amounts of fruit or nothing, but I learned little things. I learned to trust. I learned to listen to the voice of the Spirit. Uh, and then I went to, uh, when we were in Northern Ireland, um, the Holy Spirit said to me, go into your street, stand there, and share the gospel. And I was like, man, what do I, how do I do it? What do I do? So I went and I did it. I literally just, well, I'd, this particular day, I didn't have any, uh, initially didn't have any money, so I couldn't afford any equipment and stuff. So I just shouted, Jesus loves you, and came up with Bible verses, things like that, and just felt cringed in my own skin. And, but, but I knew it was like an obedience. I was just coming out of my shell a little bit, you know? And then I saved up money, my first wages, 120 quid, and I brought a cube, like a DJ cube. It's this little thing, a bit like that. And I put it down on the street, and I played Christian music through it. And then when, when, in between the songs, I'd just speak a little bit on the mic. Now, I did this all by myself. Um, but I know God was looking at me, and he was saying, son, you're confessing me before men. I'm confessing you before heaven. Come on, keep going. I knew he was cheering me on. Uh, so I just kept doing it faithfully every Saturday. On my day off, I'd go, and I'd just stand there. And I didn't really see any fruit at all, if I'm honest, apart from one that got saved over the three years. But you know what, what happened is this. When I was doing it, God's favor began to shine on me. And I was praying one day in the reservoir with my dog, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you've found my favor. You've found my favor. And then everything started to change. I remember my pastor, Alan Scott, walked past one day. I was praying for a lady. No, I, I'd never prayed for healing and all that sort of stuff, you know, and I prayed for this lady, and she was like, my neck's better, I've had this, like, problem for years with my neck. Now, at that exact moment, my pastor walks past, he was like, what's going on here then? And she's like, he just prayed for me, and I'm healed, and, and all that sort of stuff. So, that happened. Then Alan Scott's next door neighbor turned around to me and said, uh, there's a guy who preaches on the street with a bald head, he, he's got to be one of yours, like that. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know him, yeah, and, and the guy was like, this guy has a way about him, something about him. People just look like sort of drawn to him. So even though there was no visible fruit, God was using my obedience to, to, to give me favor for my future. Um, Alan, and then Alan's brother, who's a prophet, he got in touch with Alan. He said, look, God's sending you an evangelist. And Alan was like, no, we're all evangelists because my church had never employed in, in 14 years, never employed an evangelist because they always taught that we're all uh, evangelists. So, so he said, look, God's sending you one. He went on to describe me to Alan, never met me, so the Lord was clearly laying all the, all the ducks up, you know what I mean, um, lining all the ducks up, so that's kind of what happened, and then um, I was working in a hostel in Belfast in Sandy Row, in a rough part of Belfast, it's kind of HQ for the paramilitaries, um, that's where I was working, in this hostel with homeless people, and I just thought, I need to take Jesus in here, so I said, I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to put on an event in the hostel, and because basically the, the host, hostel was in the middle of the rough sort of area. So I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold this event for the whole community. And that's what I did. I just prayed it, I believed it, um, and the place was full to the rafters. I remember one day being in the hostel, looking out the window, and I seen a vision of, of people couldn't even get in, they were looking through the windows because they couldn't fit in, in a hostel. Now, nothing like this had ever been done in Sandy Row before, but I did it and I prayed and I fasted and I believed that Jesus would do this because I was so hungry to see these people saved, and that's what happened. And we did it. and. Uh, and some people got behind it, and people got saved. And then, and then things started to, to move in Sandy Row, in this rough community. I was able to witness to, to the top of the UDA guy, uh, a guy who went and gave all the punishment beatings for the paramilitaries. I became friends with him. I got to pray for him. Um, you know, there was big connections. So, you know, there's another story, but there's a lot of things happened. Now, Alan obviously was hearing about this. He was leaning into me a little bit. He was meeting me once every six weeks for a coffee. And I was just relaying the truth. I was just telling him what was happening. 
So one day he said, he rang me, um, he, he kind of said that it was going to be happening in the next few weeks. So anyway, one day he rings me. Uh, but at the time I was in a cafe leading someone to Jesus. And then the phone's like, brr, brr, you know, like vibrating. And, and there's Alan Scott like, and I'm like, oh man, I can't answer it. Because I was literally, this guy was like repeating the prayer with me. And, uh, and so anyway, I, I left it about 10 minutes. He rang back. I was still in the middle of it. So anyway, I, eventually I got the call. I, I rang him back and he was like, I was ringing to offer you a job. What were you doing? And I was like, well, I was actually leading someone to Jesus at the time. So Alan tweeted this thing. He said, I rang to offer a friend a job as an evangelist, uh, but he couldn't take the call. He was leading someone to Jesus. I think we got, I think we got the right guy, <laughs> is what he quoted. So that was it. I, I got brought onto staff. We didn't know what, I didn't know what I was doing. They didn't know what we were doing. It was just literally Jesus had said, do it. So, you know, Alan's a very obedient guy. And he was like, okay, I'll do it. So Alan said, look, let's aim high. Let's, let's head for the moon uh, and we may land amongst the stars. Let's see if we can reach one person, one soul a day. So that's what we did. Aim for one soul a day. Me and Mark Marks went onto the streets. Didn't know what we were doing. And I especially didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I just sat in my car this first day and I prayed. I said, Holy Spirit, teach me how to fish. Because to be honest, I, I was leading someone to the Lord maybe every four to six weeks through like the hostels or just on the streets. But I didn't know what I was doing. I, was always, I felt like I was winging it. I felt like I was just like, it was a fluke, if, you know, that sort of thing. No, I knew it was the Lord, but I didn't know what I was doing. I knew there was got to be a better way to, to, to uh, approach it. So that's what happened. I sat in my car and I prayed. And then I got out my car. Probably 30 seconds into my first day, I crossed the street from where my car was. There was a man limping, getting out of his van limping. I just said, what happened to your leg, sir? And he was like, oh, I fell off this ladder or whatever. I said, can I pray for you? Prayed for him. God healed his leg. And then I, and then I just shared about Jesus. If he was here now, would you let him in? And told him about the picture. I didn't have a picture. I just told him about it. And then he started to cry. This white van driver started to fill, fill him with tears as he felt the touch of the Holy Spirit. 30 seconds in my first day. <clears throat> again, it took me back to the steps on Lime Street Station. The Holy Spirit is the one who's doing it. The Holy Spirit's gone before. He's the one who's in control of this thing. I've just got to go in obedience, which is why anybody can do it. And that's what's so amazing. So that began my journey. Uh, and then the Lord started to show me why it is the way it is with the tree and all that sort of stuff. I don't know, so I don't know if we're going to go into that later or now or the best way to do it. Um, so that's kind of where we're at with that. You, you uh, um, I, I want to tell one story that I picked up whilst I was over there, and then you might want to just pick up off that and tell one or two others. Um, one of the things I loved about um, uh, being at Causeway Coast is I could see how this had infected the whole church culture, um, this, this heart for the lost, um, this kind of culture of evangelism and outreach, from the youngest to the oldest. And um, Scott's full of stories. He might tell you of more stories. He might tell you of um, the guy we met whilst we were there, who was like wanting to take you out and shouting at you, and then you went back to his house, football guy, who was with you on the day when we were at the, anyway, anyway, I'll let you think about oh, Neil, it. Neil, Neil, yeah. Neil, the one on your like Twitter thing, yeah. like being baptized, yeah, him. Um, but um, from the youngest to the oldest, so we heard about this, this eight-year-old girl who, um, she just turned up to school, her school at the start of term um, one day and said to her headmistress, do you think I could go around the classrooms and just pray for each class? Um, at the start of term, and, and, and at the end, could I invite anyone that wants to, to, to give their lives to Jesus? And the, and the headmistress is like, well, I don't know what to do with that. Like, what, what do we do? I don't know. Apparently got the deputy head in or something, and so the deputy head said, I'll take her around, I'll take her around. And so they went to the first class, like the reception or whatever, 
and ask the teacher, do you mind if I just pray for your class for this term? Yeah, that's okay, that's okay. Do you mind if I just invite anyone that wants to at the end of that to give their lives to Jesus if they'd like to? Say, no, you know, you can't do that, you can't do that. She's like, okay, okay, fine, I'll just pray for them. Pray for them, went to the next class. That teacher was fine and said, yeah, you can do it. And a few people gave their lives to Jesus. We went through. How gutsy is this eight-year-old girl? She gets like to her class as well to her friends, and she does this. She prays for the class. She invites anybody who wants you to stand up, give their lives to Jesus. You know, by the time she'd finished that morning and gone through all the classes, I think I, think I remember rightly, she'd led 22 people to faith, 22 children to faith. It's an eight-year-old girl. And then I heard about, um, I think you said his name was Tom, 81-year-old. Um, I, I love this, and this kind of just moved my heart deeply when I heard this story. There's a guy called Tom who was 81 years old, and he, he applied to join their kind of um, a year of, I don't know, what do you call it? Supernatural ministry. Um, normally, it's like gap year students. So they went through the interview process with him, as they do with, with all of them. And um, so they'd say, you know, like, so where do you want to be in five years' time? He's like, alive. That, that, would, be, that would be good. Um, and, um, and what do you want to get out of this year? And he said, I'd, I'd love to just lead one person to Jesus. And you know, by the end of that year, he'd led 20-something people to Jesus. Um, and, and, and the next year, it was more. It was in the 30s. And then the year after that, I think he started teaching and training others on that course. And there was a story of one day he was going out in the streets. He, was just, he just felt exhausted. I mean, he was, what, 83, 84 at this point. He just felt exhausted. He said, guys, I can't, I can't actually do this today. I'm just going to sit down on that bench over there, and whoever God brings to me. I'll share Jesus with them and see what he does. And that day, he led five people to Jesus, who just came and sat next to him on the bench. And I heard that story, and I just thought, what would happen to our church, to Chiswick Christian Center, to the churches in this place, if each of us just had a heart to say, you know what, God, I just want to lead one person to Jesus this year. Just start with that. Hands up if you'd love to lead one person to Jesus this year. Who knows... Put your hand up again. <laughs> Who knows what God might do with that? Tom was just an obedient 81-year-old who said, I'd love to just lead one person to Jesus this year. And his life was given a whole new lease in telling people about Jesus. When I heard that story, that was part of like, we, we need to do something here. Because how that I had a picture then, clear picture of how that could infect a whole culture and a church and how that could grow. So um, those were two stories that jumped to mind for me. And um, why don't you tell us one or two more? Because we've heard that the church started with six people when, when Jay arrived and smashed them all at bowling. Um, and since that night, when she beat them all at bowling, um, it's grown quite a bit. I'm not saying that was the most significant thing. But um, uh, tell us a bit more of the sort of like the recent, recent story of um, Causeway Coast, because there's been quite a lot of exciting stuff happening and people come to faith. Yeah, so um, I think it was 2003. Uh, I wasn't there, but I'm, I, the guys had said, shared the story. Alan had stood up in church and said, look, we're believing for 100 people this year to come to Jesus. Um, and I think the team, they seen 120 or something that year. Um, so it's always been a case of just like pushing the bar, pushing the boundaries, stepping out in faith, believing. Uh, but I think a big culture within our church, I think I'd be correct saying, is that it, at the time anyway, before um, we, we had the shift in evangelism was, I guess, praying for the sick. You know, Mark Marx has pioneered healing on the streets, which is all over the world. So he, so healing was, was kind of like the thing that was leading the charge. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't cultural for people to pray for salvation. 
uh, like that. That just wasn't the done thing. Um, but two and a half, three years ago, um, that changed. Something shifted. Uh, I think it's like it was the level of faith. It was like releasing, obviously, employing an evangelist to do it. It was the Holy Spirit. Uh, it was everything fitting in. Uh, and it started to change. We had a, a dream to see one person saved a day. And, and that happened. But not, but well, not one a day, but more like five, ten is, is what we started to see every day. Uh, we've just seen the, the Lord moving, and, and to date we've seen like 6,000 in the past two and a half years. Um, so, you know, I know for a fact that the harvest is plentiful. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've, you know, there's so many stories uh, I could tell you. Um, just trying to think. I mean, recently, uh, are we going to show that video or not? Oh, or later? Yeah, do you want to do that now or later? Yeah, this was just Thursday, two days ago. So... Here's just something fresh, you know. My name's Hannah, and I just I was sitting and come over, and it's, at first, before I never ever believed, ever, and then I got prayed for, and honestly, I just I, I, I can't put into words how I felt. It, it feels like a big weight has been lifted off my shoulders, and it's 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 great. It's, I, I never ever believed in it before, ever. And all of a sudden, I don't know, it's... What do you think about it now? I've, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm, in, I'm in shock, really, really big shock. It's just a weight seems to have been lifted off my shoulders. And I'm, I'm, I really do mean that, so. As you can see from the video, we're thinking of uh, putting a forward for an audition for one of those Hong Kong movies, you know, the, the, the Chinese ones. You want to fight? You know, one of them, one of them ones. Uh, so obviously, apologize for the quality of it. Uh, but yeah, that was on Thursday. That was a girl that, you know, we just approached. I was training someone from the Supernatural School of Ministry, um, a young lad who was on it, been on it a few weeks. We just went over. I was training them in this, went over with that. Just pray for this girl. Never, never believed, never been prayed for, nothing but the Holy Spirit just just exploded in her life. Just, she just felt that love. And, uh, and that was it. It wasn't overly difficult. Um, and then she'd messaged me the day after. She was just like, I'm still in shock about, about what happened. Um, so, you know, that was just on Thursday. The day before that, uh, I seen another girl uh, who was in tears as she felt the spirit. But like, what I want to try and encourage you a little bit of is what can happen in your communities. So, for instance, when we first began the leadership sessions uh, two years ago, people were coming from all over. And they were saying, look, this is great, but it won't work in our city. It won't work in our town. You know, this is just, this is something in the water or something, you know. It's not going to work with us. So, I, so that really annoyed me. So I was like to Alan, I was like, man, I want to start going to places and showing them that the same thing will happen in their place as it will in our place. So that's when I started traveling. I started going once a month to different churches and releasing it. So I went to the first place that I went, which is just a few good examples. I went to this place um, St. Helens, just outside Liverpool. I went there, there was a pastor there who was planting his third church. So he brought me and two new believers over uh, for, for a four-day mission, basically evangelizing the community, and he was going to plant a church off the back of it on the Sunday, uh, just before we leave. So that was, the, that was his dream, that was the goal. So we went over, we did it. Um, two new believers I'd led, you know, that come to Jesus in our community, took them over. And just for me, what, what, what impacted me the most was seeing believers catching this thing. And not only believers, but people who didn't feel that they could do it. 
uh, people who were very unassuming, very shy, uh, felt like they didn't have what it took to be an evangelist. That's what I realized from that first trip, that, that this can happen. So I want to share this story for this is what happened. So like, like today, there's maybe about a few more people. Uh, maybe about 30, 40 people. We paired up. I did the teaching with them, which I'm going to do later. Paired up, uh, and we went out into the community. Now, there wasn't, uh, it, was a, it was a small, quite small community. There wasn't any town area, so we had to go door to door. And funny enough, the Holy Spirit works door to door as much as he does on the street. So that was great. So we went door to door, and it was just incredible, the things we've seen. And, and this is what happened. There was two guys, both called John, two Johns. Now, they were the most nervous-looking people you could, you could ever get, like not in a room, I'm talking ever, in the world. Like these guys were like petrified. So they were like, you know, knees knocking, full thing. Two of them ended up together. Now normally we, we pair a confident person with a less confident person. How these two ended up, I don't know together, I don't know. But anyway, we're all going out the door in our different directions and I see the two Johns together and I'm thinking, oh no, Lord, this is going to be a disaster. Because they were like, they wouldn't even like look at you in the eye, they're just so nervous. And anyway, they, they went out together. And, and this is what transpired. I tell you this story. This is what they took. This is what happened. They went to the. They ended up in the worst street in the whole community. I mean, it's a rough. It's a rough area anyway. The worst street in the whole community. They knock on this door. This guy opens the door. Ricky, this gangster, looks at the street. Says, "You better get in here quick. I can't be seen to be talking to you on the street. I've got a reputation. Quick in the house." So the two Johns come in the house. You've got Ricky, scars all over his face. Okay, he's like, "What is it? Tell me what it, what it is." So they get the thing out, the Jesus at the door, and they start showing him. And he's like, okay, okay, give me a minute. Do you want a brew? I'll get the kettle on. And they're like, okay, yeah. So he goes in the kitchen, gets the kettle on. They hear the rustling, the, the, the cutlery. He's like, listen, boys, I've got to be honest with you. I've got warrants out for my arrest for kidnap and torture. I'm just trying to be straight with you. I'm just being honest with you, okay? So they're like, okay. So he's making the tea. They're like by the door here. Like, Should we leg it? <laughs> one of them's like, Should we run? Should we make a run for it? And, he, and, and one of the Johns was like, no, man, I'm not going. I'm I've got to stand my ground. You know, John, the other John, he'd been in a padded mental hospital, padded cells, when the Holy Spirit met him. The Holy Spirit fell in that cell and met him and changed his life. So even though he was broken and shy and quiet and, and nervous, he had this opportunity where he was with this gangster, stood here thinking, I've got to see this thing through, or do, do I run? And he was like, no, I'm not running anymore. I'm going to see it through. So he stayed. He said, we've got to see it through. And he stayed, and Ricky came back. They drank the tea, and he was like, what is it? Tell me, what, what is this thing? So they just went through it. They literally read the sheet, just read it, da-da-da-da-da. Ricky goes, yeah, okay, I'll let, I'll let him in. Um, so, so they were like, what? So they sort of read it again, and are you sure? You know, one of them kind of thing. You know, did you hear what I just said? You know, shocked, because like, they'd never led anyone to Jesus. So, so Ricky was like, yeah, you're going, yeah. So they prayed for him, did the whole thing, prayed for the Holy Spirit. He felt it. The full works. Okay, so the two Johns skipping down the street, delighted, just like blown away. You know, I think they only did the one house because they were just they couldn't concentrate after that. You know, they're just over the moon. So this is what happened anyway. This is the story that happened. Now, the kind of people they are, they didn't even share that story because they're so like you're just really quiet and unassuming and just but delighted, but never told anybody. The next day, Ricky turns up at our mission. It was like a week-long mission. He turns up and tells us this story in the kitchen. Me and a couple of the leaders, little John. And Robin Hood <laughs> are in the corner. But little John's there. And he's, he didn't even feel worthy to be with the leaders. He's like stood in the corner. That's the kind of guy he was. Ricky relays a story from his point of view. He says, look, these two lads, these two fellas come to the door, a bit nervous, whatever. He says, you know, they showed me this thing. I prayed. He says, but to be honest, I forgot about it. The next morning I woke up, I start smoking on my crack pipe because that's what I've always done. But the crack won't affect me. It doesn't do anything to me. 
So I start drinking. I just keep, I, and then he's like, I vomit the drink up. Uh, it just doesn't stay down. So it was like the Lord had put a block on his body from sinning. So all this kept happening, and then Ricky remembered, like bald morning, was like, oh, the two nervous-looking funny fellas came, prayed for me, that whole Jesus at the door thing. At that moment, his mates come in a car, drug dealers to pick him up. He gets in the car, they drive down the street, the police pull him over. Uh, they stop him, they say, Ricky, what's your name? I'm sorry, Ricky, what's your name? They say, they say what's your name? Uh, and then he has to go, and they, they report it through. Meanwhile, as he's about to give his name, though, he hears a voice say, tell the truth. Now, for, for years, Ricky has given false details, false names, addresses, because he's got warrants out for him. So, it, so this time, he hears, tell the truth. He tells the truth, and he, he just waits to be lifted. The police come back. They say, man, there's nothing for you. There's no warrants. So this is what Ricky said. He said, as soon as they told me that I came here to tell you that Jesus has wiped away my past. That's what he said. This gangster with scars all over his face, tortured people. He said, Jesus has wiped away my past. Do you know what he did then? He took out this like spliff from behind his ear. He took two watches out. He said, I stole them off somebody. Can you get them back to him? He showed his repentance. Because you see, repentance comes after. You've got to meet Jesus before you can be sorry for what you've done, you know. Uh, and the problem is too, too much we're looking for people to repent before they've even encountered the risen Savior. And that's what happened. But for me, do you know what the golden moment for me was as Ricky is relaying this story and as he's pouring out his repentance, John's face to look at John just glowing like, like a kid in a candy store, like a, a, a lad at Christmas Day, a young boy at Christmas Day. He was glowing, and he's thinking, that's because of me. My father used me to do that. That's because I didn't run. That's because I stayed, I stood my ground. And I realized that moment on my first trip that that is why I wanted to travel and come to churches, because I want to equip people like John and leave the John. And people who think, I can't do it, it's for special people with bubbly personalities, because that's rubbish. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he gave it to disciples. <clears throat> he didn't give it to evangelists. If you're a disciple in this room, then, then you're not exempt from this thing. You know, nobody's exempt, and that's the lie of the enemy, I believe, that everybody is an evangelist. Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to do this thing. Because what an honor it is when we get to stand there and just follow through with, with, this, with, with sharing Jesus and to see what can happen. So that's what I'm passionate about. That, um, and then one more quick story, which was great. There was a guy, there was a, the, the house facing the, the church that they hired for the church plant. We knocked on his door. He came out, his girlfriend came to the door, went through the whole thing. She's like, didn't feel anything, no, not interested. About to shut the door, and this big guy comes out from behind the door. So I thought, one or two things going to happen. You know, one, he's either going to get funny with me, uh, or two, he's gonna—he's—he's he's the apple that's gonna fall. So sure enough, he was like, "Hey, come on in, man." So me and this guy went in. I shared it with him. I prayed for him. He felt the Holy Spirit. He opened his heart. This guy—he was like a builder or something. The next day, he comes back. The, the night next night, he comes back. He says, "I was at work today. I told them my, my mates what happened, and they're all laughing at me. I told them about my decision for Jesus and stuff like that." He comes back, comes in with his girlfriend, who was gonna shut the door on my face. I was preaching that night, and I led her to Jesus, the girlfriend that was gonna shut the door on my face. Those two have gone on to be, that guy's gone on to become the right-hand man of the pastor. He goes around sharing his testimony. The pastor baptized them both. He married them both. Total transformation. This is somebody who lived facing the hut that they've, they've planted the church in. Why? Because a little knock on the door. You ever see that? That was it. Because the Lord is drawing. The Lord's drawing everybody. He's drawing them. Maybe, to, maybe today, Maybe that fellow over there today is not his day, but next week could be his day. 
So we don't know until we try. So we've got to just get out there. We've got to try. We've got to release. We've got to share the gospel. So we're, we're going to break for coffee in just um, 10 minutes or so. But um, before we do, and again, they're not prepared for this, but I, as I was sit, sat there just now, I just, um, I just felt prompted to ask um, Stephen and Marie and Zoe, actually, to come and just share their engagement with this um, recently. So Stephen and Marie, can you come up? Because you were you are out there. Um, I want Stephen to share what happened with him. Marie, I want you to share honestly what happened with you and how you were feeling. I think that's actually going to be really important for us to hear. Um, and, um, and then Zoe as well. So guys, come up. Stephen first, come up here. Um, can we welcome Stephen? Um, these guys didn't know they were going to do this as well. They weren't on the speaker's roster. But um, Stephen, what happened to you when you headed out into the streets in Coraine? How many minutes did you take? <laughs> Tell us what happened. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so we, uh, we, 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 we were headed out, and uh, we got shown basically how to do it first. So we uh, were paired up all, there were three in threes, and one person who knew what they were doing kind of thing uh, uh, used the card and told people about Jesus. And we just learned. And I just saw this guy called Alex. Um, uh, and I was really worried about this guy, actually, because he was just not very clear. Like, he just didn't, he didn't speak very clearly. So I was like, how oh, is this guy going to tell anyone? And he just sort of, like, walks up and he's just like, hey, so, um, <laughs> do you know about, uh, let me just tell you about Jesus. <laughs> I was just like, how is this going to work? And, the, and just talk to these two, like, big guys who I just thought, oh, they're sort of, like, quite manly men. No way is they going to sort of stop. And one of them just immediately just kind of went, yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Like, tell me more. And he's like, would, if God, Jesus was standing in front of you, would you, would you let him into your heart? And the guy was like, yeah, I think I, I, think I would, straight up. And, and he was just like, and just pray this prayer after me. And like, pray this prayer. It was like, straight, it was really cool. Um, so then I was just like, that is amazing. That's so cool. And, and, then, and then we're supposed to sort of leave. And I was like, I'm going to feel really bad if I don't have a go. So I just said, give me the card, give me the card. So I sort of took the card and just like walked up to the first person I saw and said, excuse me, excuse me, sir, have you ever seen this picture before and do you pray? Uh, as we'll, you'll find out uh, how to do the whole thing later. Um, but, um, but he just sort of said, uh, occasionally pray or whatever. And we ended up praying with this guy. But as I was speaking to him, three other um, young, um, two girls and a, and a, and a lad um, just came and just stood sort of next to him, just listened to what I was saying. And so I just told them all. I just sort of like said, yeah, come and listen. And I just told them all about Jesus. Just told them how he'd paid for, for our sins on the cross, uh, and, then, uh, and, then, and then said, so yeah, and this, this one guy, the, the first guy had to leave, so I said, no worries, mate, go and have a good day, um, and then I said, what about you guys, you, if Jesus was standing here in front of you, would you let him into your heart, would you turn around and follow him, and they just said, yeah, yeah, we would, and so I just prayed for these two girls, um, and, and they just, yeah, prayed with me, and uh, they became Christians, which was amazing, invited them to church, yeah, it took 12 minutes, that was the, that was 12 the minutes. I'm sure it was 13, but no, no, no. Um, grab a seat. Marie, um, I, was, I was with you in a group with Scott mm, for a bit. Yeah. Um, what was it like for you? What did you feel? Um, I cried when I went. <laughs> I found it quite difficult, actually. So um, I loved what Scott does and what um, the team does there, and I thought it was like, amazing. And I'm pretty sure it's going to work here, too. Um, but I found it quite difficult. I, sp- I chatted to a guy called Mark who runs Healing on the Street, um, and he's amazing, but he was like, pray really big prayers for healing. And I was a bit like, no, <laughs> a bit of the stubborn side of me. And I guess I've probably got more of a mustard seed of faith. Um, and I was quite honest about that. And I think I found it difficult being on the side of um, when you've seen less healings, you've prayed for a lot of people but haven't seen people healed. Um, but there's something so key in persistence and something so knowing God's still good if someone's not healed. So it's so worthwhile if you go and do it. 
and someone's healed, it makes all those experiences of someone not being healed so worth it. Um, so I really battled that over the weekend, um, and I've really reflected on it since. Um, and just, yeah, to know that God's good, regardless if someone's healed or not, we still have the same God. Yeah, so... I, I thought, can we thank Marie as well? Marie, have a seat. Uh, but um, do have a seat. I, I think that's really important just to, to hear and to vocalize that because that will be some of our experiences. It, it doesn't always end up that healing happens or that people get saved. Uh, but we need to understand that our God, our Heavenly Father is good. He's a good Father. He loves them. We keep praying. We keep going. Someone might be ready um, the next time. You just never know. And I remember praying. There was one, one of the people that I remember when I was praying with Scott, there was a, there was a, a girl with a pram. I think her name was Michelle. I think I remembered it because it's my wife's name. And um, the spirit was so on her as she was kind of, but she really didn't want to be there. <laughs> so she, you could tell she was really awkward and really was feeling like nervous, like people might be watching and everything. She was really honest with that. Um, and, um, uh, and she didn't want to pray. And that was okay. Scott let her go. That's fine, as you'll hear about the method later. That's absolutely fine. But what I felt for her when I saw her was just, she just wasn't quite, ready. She, she knew, I think I could see on her that she knew that if she was prayed for, she just burst into tears, like just the floodgates would open. And you could see that God was on her, but you could also, I think, see it wasn't quite time. It wasn't ready. And that's another thing I, I want to feed into, and it'll come out when um, Scott shares the method. Um, it's there will be some people out there who are not ready. This isn't their date, but you are a stepping stone. You are part of the picture of how people are being drawn to Jesus. And the re other reason I mentioned that is Introducing Zoe, was going to, Zoe's going to say, Zoe met two people and she's going to tell you about that in a minute. But she was just the last link in the chain. There'd been a previous story with these guys, which might be what happens this afternoon for some of you guys. So why don't you tell the story of what happened with you? So Mike and Stephen and Marie came back from their time at Causeway and were like, let's do it today when we have outreach. So I was like, okay. So I was with Stephen and... Um, Emma and we just went out with the little cards and said, yeah, let's give it, let's give it a go. And, but because Stephen had already done it, we kind of let him lead the charge. But then I was like, okay, I'll have a go too. And um, there's these girls just walking down, literally just out there on the green, um, obviously just came back from the gym. They looked about my age, so I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. I stopped them and um, the, the kind of felt all flustered, like, oh, it's really small to read. I don't know what I'm going to do. But just kind of went through the card with them and the whole time they just seemed so relaxed so they weren't in a rush or anything so I was like okay let's keep going and um, just when we got to the bit about um, would you like you know had you ever felt Jesus have have you ever felt um, you know the presence of the Holy Spirit one of the girls um, stopped and said that's really weird actually yeah um, a few years ago when I was working in a a cafe this guy came in and he said he was a christian and he said hold out your hands and he put his hands just gently above mine and just prayed for um for us to feel god and i just felt like these tingles and it was really really weird and then he just left <laughs> and so she was telling me this story right before it was kind of the crux time like do you want to give your life to jesus so i was just standing there like 
well, <laughs> it, it feels like God's really, you know, on your case. He's brought you here today to kind of give you that option. Do you want to respond to what you felt all those years ago? And she was like, yeah, I would. And her friend also, what she said she believed in God, but also wanted to kind of recommit and give her life to Jesus. So I just led them through a prayer I made up in my head about giving your life to Jesus. And as they walked away, I just I was just so surprised at the easiness of it. I wasn't forcing anything. They were just ready to do it. They were ready to make a commitment. And that's what you were talking about at staff meeting, that sometimes the apples are just ready to drop and it's not about us shaking them. They're just ready. Cool. Can we thank Zoe as well? Um, we're going to break for coffee, um, and then we're going to gather back in about uh, 20 minutes. Come and grab a seat. Come and grab a seat. Um, and I'll hand back over to Scott to introduce us. Brilliant. Yeah, just uh, off the back of that, the picture, this particular picture was designed, created, illustrated uh, by Charlie Mackesy, which some of you guys might know. Uh, I didn't know Charlie, but I just uh, basically prayed that the Lord would let him uh, do it for me. So I mailed him and he didn't respond. I mailed him again and he was like, oh, I'm too busy, I can't do it. And I was like, Lord, give me that guy. So uh, how could he resist the spirit? So the Lord got a hold of him and Charlie was like, okay, I'll do it for you. I did it free of charge. And he was like, there you go. Bless you. And give it to us. So it's amazing. So we can use it now as an image that we can give. People can use. Uh, before that, we couldn't reproduce it because it wasn't ours. Uh, but this is ours, uh, and now it's yours. So the idea is, is for the church to give. So I want to just share this uh, before we go into the training. Uh, just briefly, we have a, a short video, of two-minute two video. I just want to tell you, just before you see it, about this guy. Uh, we're going to have a short video of Ryan's story. Ryan came to Jesus two years ago, uh, not even two years at Christmas. Uh, he was notorious in our community and beyond. Uh, fight, fighting, drug dealing, it had his like window shot, bullet holes through due to his drug dealing. He was like moving a lot of cocaine uh, to different ways, like he'd be in the car doing these drop-offs and stuff for, for these bigger gangsters and stuff. So he was only like, when he got saved, he was 20, um, but lived like, lived 100 lives, that kind of guy, you know. Been, been brought up through a foster care system, through uh, juvenile centers, and then into prison. Um, so crazy sort of background, crazy story. Um, but he, God has used him incredibly. Like he's been such a spearhead in our community for uh, this, this move that God has, has really begun in our town. Um, and I guess what I want to tell you just before you see it is uh, the, the, the story that stands out the most is um, just to kind of show you the, the repercussions. The police came over to some of our students at the Encounter School and Ministry, Supernatural School. They approached these students. They said, look, are you the church responsible for Ryan Lennon? And they were like, yeah, yeah, new students. They'd only been doing it a few weeks, but obviously they'd heard about Ryan. They were like, yeah, that's us, yeah. The police guy said, the whole of the police service in Northern Ireland are talking about the transformation in this man. We want to thank you. Can we give you a list of names? <laughs> <laughs> that's what he actually said. And then he was like, you'll be putting us out of a job soon because there were some notorious individuals who'd been known for, for, for bad things who were coming to Jesus. Uh, a judge... Ryan was before a judge, he got put before a judge over a crime he committed before he got saved. We wrote references for him and the judge said this, the judge said, if I could come down from here, I would come down and shake your hand. I've never seen a transformation like it. It's like 1% we, we see people change, but, but you know, you're that 
you've such a, such a transformation. I'm just just would shake your hand and say thank you. Uh, it was in the press. This big article our church had on a Sunday morning about it. You know, it just goes on and on. Ryan has, has been nominated for an award through like Princess Trust stuff. Uh, they came and the, they, a film crew came over, made a, um, a video of his of his life story. Uh, all this kind of stuff is going on. It's just amazing. And he he comes with me regularly on trips. He was with me in Birmingham in, with, in Gas Street last week. He comes on regular trips with me, sharing, and he's an, an incredible evangelist. So this is Ryan's story. It's only two minutes. Two minutes long. Well, uh, I used to live uh, a kind of rough, rough life, um, kind of here and there between houses, living in rough areas and stuff like that. Uh, didn't know where I was. I was lost. There was something in my heart that I was missing, um, and I kind of woke up every day. I was heavily using drugs. Cannabis was my drug, um, and I kind of smoked that they escaped my problems. I always woke up every day just angry, anxious, just uh, kind of not knowing where I was going, not knowing what I was supposed to do, why was I here, am I just going to die and is that, is that the way it is? And uh, kind of, I met Scott up the town and he came over and he prayed for me and I kind of was like, I, I couldn't really remember um, him praying for me uh, because I was, I was on the, under the influence at this time. And uh, then he kept, he says that the Jesus was kind of dragging him to me. So he invited me up to his home and uh, met a few ones there. The neighbor up in Scott's house. And I opened my heart to the Lord that night. And uh, I started crying and I started feeling just all these real emotional feelings that I'd never felt before. I just didn't know what it was. And, and Scott kind of says, you know, <clears throat> Ryan, this is it. This is the changing of your life. Just." just take this step and go on to this step. And uh, so the day after that, I felt great, felt lethal. I felt no 100%. It was like, oh, my life's changed and stuff like that, but I was still using drugs. And uh, so I didn't want to lie to Scott and I said to Scott that I'm not ready to come to church. I'm not ready to do this. So um, I, I, I got off cannabis. I prayed to God and I prayed hard. And the next day I woke up and that was me. I was ready to go off it. And I've never thought I'd be able to go off it in my life. And with the help of Jesus, I did. My journey's been class ever since. Just every day I wake up and feeling closer to Jesus and feeling more, more determined to be there for him. I've had ups and downs and stuff, and I've been kicked down, but he always brings me back up and has me on my feet. So, yeah, I wanted you to see that just, you know, because that's just the living proof of, of our God how our God changes people's lives, not just, you know, it's not about just like, you know, I want to pray with you, but it's about like transformation, isn't it? But it begins, it begins by this encounter, it begins by you getting out of your seat and going and stepping out. So this is what I'm going to equip you to do with this amazing tool. Now I can brag about it because I don't feel I made it up if I'm honest with you. I feel I just was given it by the Holy Spirit. Uh, which is good for me because I can brag about it, shout about it. So this this now jad, as we call it, Jesus at the door, it's being used uh, across UK and Ireland, California, San Diego, Oklahoma, South Africa, Hungary, Switzerland. Uh, it's been translated into Swiss, German, Polish, Hungarian. Uh, but the thing with it is, is that it means nothing without the Holy Spirit. Absolutely nothing. Like, like you may as well just take it and throw it away because it's, it's, it was designed, it was created it was breathed to only work with the Holy Spirit in partnership. 
uh, without the Holy Spirit, it's just a nice looking picture with a few words. But when the Holy Spirit unites with it, when you, when you join with the Spirit, this thing is like a, it's like a ticking bomb. It's like a time bomb. It's going to go off. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, so for me, this is what happened. The, well, not my first day, but early, early days in, the, in my, my job on the streets. The Holy Spirit showed me a picture that changed my life. Um, and, you know, Mike even mentioned it earlier on. But this picture, wherever I go, it just it resonates with people um, because it's from the Lord. And this is what it is. An apple tree. The Lord said, I want you to look, Scott, look at all these people here in this town, and picture them like apples on a tree. When you share, I'll shake. You share, and I'll shake. So the Spirit will come, and he will shake that tree. And some of those apples are going to move. Some are going to fall. Some aren't going to move at all. But the liberating thing, the emancipating thing, is that that's not our job. We don't have to make them fall. So for me, as an evangelist, and for you as an evangelist, or, or even just as a believer, and thinking about evangelism, the pressure shuts you down. When you think about pressure, shuts you down. Because what it does is pressure stops you being you. Pressure of how do I live up to this thing? What if I don't do that? What if I say the wrong thing? What if they hit me with a hard question? All that stuff, it's, it makes you clam up and it stops you being effective. So what you need to do straight from, right from the off, which is why the Lord showed me this, take off the pressure and realize that you're sharing and he's doing the shaking. Don't try and switch it around. Don't you try and shake trees and climb up and try and make, you can't make people get saved. I can't make people get saved. But the Holy Spirit, our amazing partner in evangelism, he does that. He's the one with the power. So what this is like, it's like for those with kids or for those who are big kids, imagine Christmas Day, you get your present. Or your kid gets your present, his present, opens it, say he gets this toy, opens the toy. There's this anticipation of building of, of this toy that he's getting. And, and he gets it, and then you've got to like, undo all the wire off the back. These, these days, kids' toys take forever to get off. But you get the toy. What happens? The kid, all this enthusiasm and excitement about this toy, he presses the button. And what happens? Nothing. Why? Because there's no batteries in it. So it looks great, looks class, but there's no power. And that's what this, this tool's like here. You know, it looks lovely to look at. Oh, there's a lovely fella knocking the door. And it's very, very nice. It's very, I showed it to some guy on the train on the way in. He was like, is that a Picasso, didn't he? This guy. I was witnessing to a guy on the tube on the way in, and he was like, is that a Picasso and stuff? So it looks lovely. But you know what? Without the, without the Holy Spirit, without the power, without the batteries, forget it. Forget it. Don't even, you know, what's the point? And that's just like those toys. That's like, like they look great. But the kid's not going to be happy with it because he, he wants to see it all. He wants to see it working, man. He wants to see this thing moving. He wants to see it. He wants to experience it. And let me tell you, people want to experience Jesus. And they're not wrong for, for wanting that. They don't want to just sit, come and sit here and listen to sermons and, and, and sing hymns and things they don't know about. And they, they need to experience something. Then they can come and do all that stuff. But they've got to experience that, that power. And that power is the Holy Spirit. So what he wants to do he wants to touch them. He wants to let them feel it, let them experience it. Like that girl you've seen or like Ryan or, or like anyone that you meet. I believe that the Lord wants to do this. So that's the first and most important things behind it. It's designed to work in that way. So John, 6, John chapter 6 verse 44, what does it say? Jesus said, no one can come to me but the Father draws them. So what that means 
is that nobody can come if the Father, unless the Father draws them. So we can be all singing, all dancing evangelists. We can be, you know, a hybrid of Reynard Bonnke, Todd White, and all, whoever your heroes are. But the thing is, without the Holy Spirit, without the Father drawing people, it ain't going to happen. So what this tool does, this tool is a reaping tool and not a sowing tool predominantly. But in, inadvertently, you're going to sow anyway. But this tool was created, it was designed, it was breathed to reap a harvest. Like what Amanda was talking about, the, the wheat and stuff like that. That's what it's for. This is harvest time, people. That's what we're, we're living in, harvest time. But if we go out and keep sowing, then we're not going to reap. And what the church has done, um, the wider church has done, is we've just gone out and we've, we've kept sowing. Sowing our socks off, got fed up with sowing and said, oh, this doesn't work, or I'm not good enough. I don't have the abilities. I must be, it must be, I'll leave it to that guy over there. But that's not true. It's just that we're sowing instead of reaping. And we should be reaping. And that's what this is all about. This thing is a tool that when you share it, and the Holy Spirit partners, he shakes, releases the apple, and you catch it. That's what happens. Um, which is why anybody can do it. That's what's so wonderful about it. So it's kind of like this. This is another thing the Holy Spirit showed me, like a tandem bike. When you ride a tandem bike, the one at the back has to start pedaling. The one at the back has to start. So it's like, it's like a little thing just to remember. So we share, we share, he shakes. We ride, he waits. So he's waiting for you to start going. If you don't move, there's no apples falling, I'm sorry. It ain't going to happen. You know, we can sit there and think, oh, no, you know, somebody else, the Lord will do it some way or, you know, it'll happen. It ain't going to happen because he's waiting on you. He's there waiting. Are you, are you going to start pedaling or what? You're on the bike and you're like, oh, yeah, this is great. You know, I'm looking forward to the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a great day. But we don't move. We just sort of sit there in our house or church singing along. And, and, and all, all the while, the Holy Spirit's like, look, I'm waiting on you. Are you going to go? And when you start pedaling, something amazing starts happening. The Holy Spirit starts leading you to the right place, to the right people, and things just start happening. It's amazing the way it works, you know. Uh, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit. So isn't that, I just love that picture of that tandem bike. And what's really interesting is that on a hill, when, a tan, when uh, uh, two people on a tandem bike, when they're going up a hill, they need more, like, a, there needs to be more of a continuity, more connection um, for the power, because they need more power. But there's got to be, like, this connection from the two riders when you're going uphill. And it's like that with the gospel. That the more we go, the more we stretch for, the more we aim for, there needs to, we need to know our partner. We need to know the one who's, who's steering us. We need to know the Holy Spirit. If you don't know the Spirit, if you don't know his voice and the way he moves, you're going to struggle. So we need to get to know the Holy Spirit. It's all about that. That's what, that's what changes everything. Um, okay, so if we can look in John chapter 4, verse 35. You pass me my Bible, love it, John chapter 4, verse 35. Whoever finds it first, if they would kindly read it for me and for everybody. John chapter 4, verse 35. If anybody has it, just shout it out.
Okay, everybody hear that okay? Um, do you not say there are yet, yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. So what's, what, what the Holy Spirit showed me in this scripture here? Do you not say? So what, what happened here, the backdrop for this is that the woman at the well, uh, the, host, the woman at uh, the, Samar the Samaritans, um, she had gone off and told the people about this man she'd met. Could this be the Messiah? This is the backdrop to it. Meanwhile, Jesus engages in this dialogue with the disciples. Do you not say four months from this to this? What he was saying was, don't you have a, set, don't you have a way of doing it? Don't you have a, a set method of, of reaping? Like this, four months, then you reap. But Jesus was saying, forget that. I'm showing you a whole new way. It's harvest time, baby. He was showing you a whole new way. But what's so interesting about it is this. There's been no gospel in this community at all, apart from one, one lady who just met Jesus and was on her way in to tell a lot of people. She was on her way back with a few ones, and then it says, meanwhile. So one lady had gone in to tell, open her mouth. She didn't know anything about anything. All she knows that she met this guy who could be the Messiah. That's it. She told them that. They're on the way back in. That sounds interesting. I'll come and have a look what she's on about. They go back in. Jesus says, that place there, harvest time. It's a harvest field. But we say, well, it can't be because we haven't you know, labored for years and we haven't sown the ground and plowed the ground and done this and done that. doesn't matter. Let me tell you why. The gospel is a sledgehammer. And when you apply the sledgehammer to any surface, you're going to see a crack. The gospel is a sledgehammer. It's the power of God unto salvation. So it doesn't matter if you've been there sewing your socks off. You can go into this community now. You take me anywhere. Uh, and, and I'm only saying me because I believe it. You take me anywhere in this world, and I believe that the Holy Spirit will produce fruit. It's harvest time everywhere because he's God. And let me tell you, when the Spirit moves, it's a sledgehammer. He's powerful. This, this thing is powerful. Uh, we just got to start believing in its power. Uh, to change people, to change things, you know. Uh, so that's what Jesus is saying. It's harvest time. He said, do you not say, okay, four months. So do you not say people will only get saved if they come in and do the Alpha course, da-da-da-da-da. Now, I love the Alpha course thing. It's incredible. But what about those who don't come in the building? Okay, we need to get ones in the building. Or better, let's go out there and get them. So once we get them in, then they can do the Alpha course. And it's incredible. But what Jesus is saying is there's another way of doing it. There's another way of doing things. Okay, does that make sense? Uh, he also says this, open your eyes. Now, he wasn't talking about these eyes. He was talking about your spiritual eyes. Open your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Because we're looking at people through our earthly lens, and we should be looking at them through heaven's lens. When I looked at Ryan, I actually met him in the gym before I met him in the town. When I looked at that man, the tattoos, the presence, he was all loud and making his presence known in the gym and all sort of stuff. And... You know, I didn't look at him through my own eyes. I could have looked at him, the tattoos, the, the reputation, because I'd heard about him anyway. But I looked through heaven's lens. I seen there's a son. There's a son who's loved by his father. There's, a, there's somebody who needs Jesus. There's an apple that could fall today. That's, that's the way I seen it. So we need to start looking through heaven's lens. Open your eyes and see. It's harvest time. Don't be looking at people thinking, well, hang on, he's... She's driving a Porsche, she won't be interested. She's doing that, he's taking drugs. You can go whichever side of the spectrum you can go, and I'm going the other side just because obviously you can see Ryan from the drugs background. I was in Doha um, with my wife, visiting some friends. Poolside in Doha, this guy flies for the most prestigious airways in the Middle East, Qatar Airways. He's there, poolside, got chat with him. 
Uh, I said, hey, what do you do for a living? He's like, I'm a, I'm a pilot. He's like, what do you do? I was like, what can I show you? I actually said I'm, an ev- I said, I'm an evangelist. He was like, what's that? I said, let me show you. I said, I stand on a street every day and talk to people. Let me just show you, man. So we did a bit of role play. I went, and I went through it. I said, so this is what I would do. Look, have you seen this? Do you pray? Went through the whole thing with him. The guy's like Holy Spirit all over the guy. Uh, feels the Holy Spirit. I said, right, he's here now. Would you, you, know, would you let me if he was here? He says, look, man, I just have to go over there a minute. And he like, panicked and, and went off to the other side of the pool. Now, I wasn't panicking because he, they can't come if the, unless the father's drawing them anyway. So I, I don't want to catch a fruit that's not ready. So I just waited. It's fine. I went back, chilled out, topped up the tan, uh, as, as you do. Uh, and as I'm laying there, the guy comes back about an hour later. He says, uh, he says listen, can I, can I talk a minute with you? I was like, yeah, yeah. He said, I've got to be honest, I left my flip-flops here on purpose so that I could, I'd have an excuse to come back. So he says to me. We get chatting. He opens his heart to Jesus, this Qatar airway pilot. Start saying, I want to bring you over here and will you come to Colombia and visit my family and all that stuff. So anyway, then he tells me about his wife, who's German. He says, my wife's from Germany. She's very, very against God. Because um, he had like a sort of Catholic upbringing and, you know, this sort of religious thing as a kid. He said, I can't even like pray or talk, even talk about anything to do with God. She goes crazy. I was like, let me meet her. So he, he was like, well, yeah, she'll be down and she'll be down shortly. He says, but you can't talk to her about God. She like get really angry. And I was like, look, it's fine, man. Just let me meet her. So she comes down. I introduce myself to her. Get out the picture. And I just do, just do the normal thing. And she didn't. She wasn't angry or nothing like that with me. So anyway, I prayed for the Holy Spirit to touch her. In this moment, generally, is when you'll hear the voice of the Spirit giving you a word of knowledge. So 99% of the time, if I'm going to hear the Holy Spirit, I hear it in that moment when I say, I want to pray for you now to feel the Holy Spirit. And then I'll hear just a little something. So for her, I heard she had a near-death experience. Uh, when she was younger, but God, God kept her. So I told her that she was like, "Yeah, I had a car crash. Like it could have killed, nearly killed me." Like, um, felt the Holy Spirit give her life to Jesus, and her fellow's like, "What the heck?" Like, 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 he was like totally blown away. So, so this is a rich, rich couple, pilot, da da da. So the reason I'm telling you that story is because I want to, sh- I want to show you the balance. This is not just for people on drugs and da 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 da. You know, it's for everybody. It's everybody. Everyone is a potential apple that's going to fall today. And just because it doesn't fall today, well, I'm going back next week or the day after. Do you know what I mean? Because the Spirit, every time you share this, this tool, the Holy Spirit is shaking the life. So we're looking to reap, but you're sowing anyway. So every time you share it, that's a person just getting shaken a little bit more, a little bit more. Don't you worry about the shaking. You let the Lord shake uh, is the best way to do it. Okay. Uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 10, we have a man called Zacchaeus. You don't need to go there because he's on all the story. Zacchaeus, he was a man, as you all know, who wasn't in, he wasn't in a state of repentance according to the scriptures. He was a man who went up to have a little look. He went up to have a little nosy. Who's this Jesus guy? That was it. What happened? Jesus come up to him through, through the crowd to the tree, incidentally, up the tree. And what happened? He said, the shortest evangelism uh, model ever known to man. Come immediately. Or a different version says, hurry today, I must eat with you. And what happened? Zacchaeus, he came down the tree, didn't he? Jesus didn't say, listen, Zacchaeus, I want you to study a little bit. In the, in the, just look at the Torah. I want you to go to the temple, spend a bit of time there. Just, just think about the choices that, you, that what I'm asking you here and what, and what you're, you're going to do with your life. Uh, I'm going to send Peter on the way back from Golgotha. He's going to come and he's going to spend six months to taking you on a discipleship training course. And you can learn a little bit more. He didn't. He said, hurry today, I must eat with you. That was it. There was no repentance. This was a filthy sinner, chief tax collector. No repentance on the outside. 
But Jesus looked through heaven's lens and he seen a man that was ready. He seen an apple that was ready to fall. And just like the apple, he came down the tree. Jesus said to that man over 2,000 years ago, exactly the same thing as what we say today. He stands at the door of your heart and knocks. If you let him in, he'll come and eat with you. Exactly the same thing. But Jesus wasn't hoodwinking Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus knew. He knew the crack. First century Jewish culture, when you open your home, you open your heart. He knew it. So he knew what Jesus was asking. He was asking for his heart. And that's all we're asking today. We're not asking for your duty or your religion or your five-time prayers a day. We're saying, will you give him your heart? And that's what Jesus has the case. And the case is like, well, yeah, I'll give you that. So he took him to his house. And then what happened? Repentance happened. I'm going to give back four times what I've stolen plus some. Repentance came after. We're too busy looking for the repentance before we even go near people to approach them with the gospel. The repentance will come after. Let the Holy Spirit worry about that. You just worry about, you just worry about sharing. You share, he shakes. Um, and I just love that about, uh, about Zacchaeus. I just love to see that. And you know, the Holy Spirit showed me a picture once of a shoal of fish. And then we're just going round and round in the deepest, darkest waters of the ocean. Suddenly, poof, this big spotlight shone on the fish. And the fish, they all, they all stopped and looked to the spotlight. Do you know why they looked? Because they'd never seen anything like that. They've been going round every day in these deep, dark waters, going round and round, doing the same thing every day. Suddenly, this light comes from nowhere, and they just stop in the tracks because they've never seen it. That's what happened to Zacchaeus, I believe. He's seen the light of the world, and there was something about, he'd never seen anyone like that. Jesus, Emmanuel, he's walking before him, and he's seen the light of the world, and he didn't know what it was, but he knew that that's something. I've never seen this before. Let me tell you, when people see you, that's what they're going to say. I've never seen that before. What is it about this guy? What is it about this girl? Because you are the light of the world, aren't you? You know, we have him inside of us. So if you want to shine a bit more, then go a bit darker. The darker you go, the more you're going to shine. I've seen it. I can testify of it. But just get out there and start shining. People are going to see it. Take confidence in, in, in who's in you. Okay, so uh, Acts chapter 8, verse, uh, verse 26 to 30. Again, just for time. You don't have to go there. You all know the story. Philip and the Ethiopian. Uh, the Spirit says to Philip in verse 26, get up and go. Verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go. And verse 30, when Philip ran. The reason I want to talk about this here, Philip was an evangelist. He was a guy who knew what he was doing. He was one of the ones that like, you know, you get somebody come in a room, doesn't know Jesus. It's like, Philip, go on, go for it. You know what I mean? He's the one that you know he can do the business. Like, you know, he's like, he's like the Jedi master. He can, he can go and he can do it, you know? <laughs> so he's the one who knows what he's doing. But do you see how, even with this guy who, not, who knows what he's doing, the Spirit said, get up and go. So he was told to go. Did he go? Well, in verse 29, the Spirit told Philip again, go. So he was told twice to go. Why? Because this, there's a cost to, to sharing. There's a cost to evangelism. There's a cost to preaching the gospel. The devil isn't going to lie over on his back, roll over and let you tickle his belly while you go and reap, reap a harvest. He's going to resist you. He's going to make you feel, oh, don't do that. He's going to make you feel afraid. You haven't got what it takes. They might hit you or punch you. He'll throw any old garbage in your head to stop you getting out that door. But that's what it is, garbage. You've got to step out and you've got to go. And even Philip had that because he was told, go on, go. And this is what the Holy Spirit showed me. Philip, when he went, he, he didn't go on his sofa with his remote control transported there. What he had to do, he had to run. But when he got there and he did what was needed, 
he was then transported, Star Trek style, which is pretty cool, back to Azotus. But the Holy Spirit showed me it wasn't the other way around. He didn't get transported there all nice and comfortable. You've done your job, okay, now you can run home. It wasn't that. He had to show God that he was willing to move. Are you, are you willing to show God that you're willing to move? That's what he wants because he's looking for vessels that are like, man, I, I believe you. I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to try this thing because it's impossible to please him without faith. He's not looking for, for, for just to kind of transport your places and, and they go, okay, you can do it. And He's like, come on, will you step out for me? Will you show me that you love me? Will you show me that you're willing to put yourself on the line and be nervous and be scared, whatever, but will you believe in me? Um, so this is what happened here. When he was, when he was transported uh, back, uh, he, knew, he knew that he'd done what he needed to do. Now, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever ran after anybody to share the gospel? Yes, okay, some of these are nodding, brilliant, okay. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to make you see the, the, uh, the warped thinking behind this thing. Have you ever ran to, like, because you're missing YouTube or because, like, you know, your car park tickets up or whatever, you know, myself included? Now, I'd never really ran after anybody either, but there was one time about five months ago, and I seen this, this family. I was training a guy, and, and I seen this family sitting there, and I said to the guy, I can't train you, man. I, I just need to go and speak to this family. I went over, I spoke to this family. Janet, her name was Janet, her daughter Tanya, and her son Neil. I went over and I just shared this. All I said was this, like, have you seen this before? Do you ever pray? She said, I can't do this today, and started crying. And I was like, is she looking at the same thing I'm looking at? You know, it's not that bad, is it? But she just started crying. I'd only just literally shown her the picture. And she said, I can't do this today. Ran off down the street. I'm stood there with her son and a daughter, and we're kind of like looking at each other really awkwardly thinking, and they're like, well, I suppose we better go too. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you should, yeah. So they, they, they follow her down the street. I'm stood there. The American guy comes over. I was training an American guy. I just left him, and I went over to this family. He comes over, and he's all enthused. He's like, hey, man, what's going on? All that excited, you know. Uh, he's like, what are you doing in this situation? Do you, like, run after them, or do you just, like, leave them and respect them? And that's a bad American accent. But uh, I was like, well, I don't know. I've never been in this situation, like a professional trainer that I am. I was like, I've never been in this situation. So I had to make a decision. Do I run after that lady? And it might be impeding on a, a privacy. Uh, or do I just stand and let her go? Well, I couldn't bear to let her go. So I ran after her. Literally just ran down the street. I could see her halfway down the street crying, hugging her daughter. I just put my arm around her. I just said, love, what happened? Are you okay? Because let me tell you, without love, it doesn't mean anything. None of it means anything. If you don't love people, what's the point? Like, you've got to love them, man. You know, I, lo I, love, I love people. I love non-believers. I love Christians too, but I love, I love non-Christians, got to be honest. I just love them. You know, when I'm chatting with them, I, I sometimes do weird things. Like, I was praying for a guy yesterday, and I'm, like, rubbing his back and stuff like that. Because I can't help it. It's just like, it's just like instinct, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm rubbing his back here. Because I just feel, I just feel this love. Do you know what I mean? We, we shared to these two guys on the tube, and I was like, I love you. And I was like, did I just say that? And he was like, oh, thanks, man. But I didn't even mean to say it, it just came out, I love you, man. And, and um, you know, I just feel this love for people, uh, that, and that comes from Jesus, you know, so you've got to have that. So anyway, I put my arm around, I said, look, what happened? She said, my daughter was murdered 20 years ago. Um, when you started speaking, or showed me that, I felt, I felt something. What had happened is the Holy Spirit, when you share, he shakes. So soon as I, soon as I started, Holy Spirit was all over. It was like, Scott, I'm on this. And she felt it straight away. Straight away, she felt it in the core of her being. She felt the light of the world touching her, and she couldn't bear to expose that hurt, so she ran away. I led her and a daughter to Jesus, and everybody, and we all sort of hugged and cried. 
the son had gone off to a different shop. Two weeks later, they came to church, three of them. Sorry, came to my group, my new believers group. The son got saved that night. Tears, there was deliverance, there was all sorts of crazy stuff. There had been all sorts of uh, crazy problems with the family. They told me, they started coming to church on Sunday, three of them. They told me about the husband called Neil, Neil Senior. They said Neil's a football hool- it was a football hooligan. Uh, he, he's not over the moon about this thing. He thinks it's like a brainwashing stuff and, and all that. And I was like, it's okay, just invite him. Uh, and they're like, she was like, no, he won't come to, to a group or nothing. So I just kept saying, invite him, invite him. One day I go to the roughest state where they live. I've got a new believer in the car with me two weeks. He's been a believer. We, we knock at the door, we get in the car, wait, Janet comes out in the car. The, Neil, he steps out to the door with his, his vest on and he starts shouting his mouth, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to rip your head off, and just starts going crazy. But it wasn't at me, it was at the guy in the passenger seat. And it was only his second week at our New Believers group. So I felt real bad for the poor fella. So I kind of stuck my head out the window. I was like, what's the problem, man? What are you shouting for? And he was just like, he was blinkered. It was a real demonic thing. It was like blinkered at this guy here. He, he didn't even see me or notice me. He was like, I'm going to get in and kill you. And anyway, his wife had to get out the car, physically restrain him, and put him in the house. Next day, from, from a lot of coaxing from his wife, he texts me and says, I'm, I apologize. Come to my house. I'll make you a coffee and apologize. So I go to his house. I walk in. He says, look, just want to let you know, soon, just from the off, don't come into my house and start preaching at me. And everything will be, everything will be sweet. Like, uh, I was like, okay, man, no problem. So I knew it was going nowhere. I just drank my tea and just tried to get out of there. And he just rabbited on and just talked about stuff. As I'm leaving, I said, look, can I just say a quick prayer before I go? I was thinking, this, you know, just get me out of here because nothing's happening. So I prayed. I was like, Lord, just bless this family. Give them a great day. Amen. See ya. You know, one of them, I'm out of here. And then the Holy Spirit just said, invite them to a group. And I was like, what? There's no way that fella is coming to my group. You know, headbutt me before he comes to the group. But I just knew I had to, I had to invite him. So I just said, listen, man, look, just, just to let you know, our group's on tonight. You'll be very welcome. See you later. I'll come. He says, I'm like, what? He says, I'll come to your group tonight. He's like, I'll come with my wife. I was like, okay, man. So we went home. This week in our house, 19 new believers sat in our living room. Neil comes in with his tank top covered in tattoos, uh, sits down. He says, just want everybody to know that I don't believe. I'm just here for the wife to support her. So everyone's a bit, a little bit, you know, it's like the elephant in a room type thing. It's very uncomfortable, very awkward. So we just do what we do. We don't change it for anybody. We do our worship set. We do everything the same. Towards the end of the worship, I could see him sort of wriggling around a bit and, and his wife's like extremely nervous like that he's here. And then suddenly he's like, I feel very strange. What is going on? <laughs> he says like that. So everyone's sort of like, you know, looking up like that in the prayer time. And, and, and I was like, Neil, stand up. So I got him to stand up. And I called over a couple of new believers. One lad, two weeks he's been a, he's been a Christian. So come over here, lead that guy to Jesus. But what I did before I did that, what I did, I followed through with this. Because you know, I never had a chance to do it in his house. I followed through that. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Want it, yeah. Everything. Two weeks believer. I said, go and pray for him to, to open his heart to Jesus. He went and did it. And do you know what happened? Neil's whole countenance changed before everybody. In front of everybody's eyes. Now you're talking people in that room who are brand new believers. That changed their walk. They seen in the space of an hour a man go from non-interested. This is what Neil said. My church is my football team. That's what he told everybody in the group. You've got a man who goes, he was a man who, uh, he ran five, a gang of 500 people. He used to arrange the football fights, uh, like football factory style. 500 men he had under him. Uh, he was arranging the different fights. That's what he was doing. It, it, you know, he'd been a crazy sort of background. He'd been in the psychiatric wards. Also, he tried to kill himself, throw himself under a train. All mad stuff. But this man changed before our very eyes do you know why because the holy spirit was in that room and when the holy spirit shakes 
Everything changes. But you know why he shook? Because I shared. When we share, he shakes. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. Whether it's in a gym. I met Ryan in a gym. Whether it's in a gym or at the park or on the public toilets, whatever. Airplanes. It makes no difference. If you share, he will shake. And Neil's life got radically transformed before everybody's eyes. Two weeks in, this man messaged me. He said, can I come on the streets with you? I want to learn how to do this thing. And, and like, he's a real like, live wire, do you know what I mean? He's, he's an ex-football hooligan, so he's proper passionate. I'm thinking, this could be a bit ropey. So anyway, he came, and he's on the streets, and, and he was just, from then on, that was about 20 weeks ago, from then on, he's been on that street, uh, those streets every day with me. Nearly every day he comes out on them streets, just uh, so hungry. First week we get him in church, he stands on his chair, he's like, Jesus! And, he's, and everybody's like looking, and I thought I was going to get kicked out of my own church, it was that bad, do you know what I mean? Everyone's like, what's this guy doing? He's just so passionate. He's so hungry for the Lord. He, he dances in the Sunday service. And like Alan talked about him in his preacher of the week, because Neil just, he dances and he's just up the level of worship. He's just so free to, to love God because this was a man who was held captive. But then he, he got set free and, and his whole life has changed. But you know what? I, I mean, I, I mean uh, Ryan, that guy you see in there, Ryan, we baptized his five of his family about a month ago. Neil Sr., Neil Jr.'s son, Tanya, Janet, and the boyfriend of Tanya. Five lives, all go to my new believers group and go to church. Five lives, totally changed, and one for the kingdom, baptized, full works. Do you know why? Because I ran. Because I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. I'm going to run. Imagine if you ran. Imagine if we had that urgency to, to just go and say, I'm going I'm to take a step. Imagine what could happen. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so let's get down to it because I know we're on the clock. So uh, I could talk to you all day. Okay, so doing the jad. Key factors. Key factors with it. We're going to do it now, but this is the key factors to be you, for you to be you. Like I said, when you stop being you, you become ineffective because you know what? You are so good at being you. It's like you were born to do it. You're incredible at it. So why, why change? Why be different? Just be who you are. Because when you're you, you're incredible. So that's what you need. That's the first and most important tool you need is to be you. Okay, so this is the image here. This is what we say. Have you ever seen this picture before and do you pray? Do you ever pray? Okay, what we're trying to ascertain is, uh, is there any level of faith at all in that individual? It's like a process of elimination questions to try and decipher, are they an apple that might fall? That's kind of what we're doing with, with the work of the Holy Spirit. So, have they ever seen it? Do you ever pray? If they say, no, I never pray, I'd say, what about in an emergency? What about if someone in the family's dying? A crisis situation? Just push them a little bit. And then a lot of people will be like, well, yeah, if, if that was the case, yeah. Or those that are going to fall anyway will say, well, yeah, I suppose I would in that situation. If they still say, no, I don't pray, don't, nothing. I'd ask them this one final thing. Do you believe God is there? If they say yes to that, then I know there's my potential apple. Because they've got, there's faith there. They're like, well, yeah, I believe he's there, yeah. I just don't communicate with him, don't talk to him. If they say, no, 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 don't even believe he's there, generally, honestly, I'm going to say, no problem, sir, have a great day, God bless you. Let me tell you why, because I'm looking to reap. Now, it might sound a bit cold, but we do so much sowing within church. We don't, we don't need any more sowing. We, just, we need some more reaping. If I engage in a conversation with an atheist, uh, which is what they're saying they are generally, if they say no to everything, there's like five apples I could have caught while I engaged with this atheist. And all they did with me was suck my energy out of me, suck the life out of me, and, uh, and just wanted to dialogue and argue. Now, you don't need to do that. You don't need to, I don't need to read up and swat up on science and, and all that sort of stuff because I'm just bringing the gospel. If they don't want it, that's okay. But we're getting through some of this with them, so they're going to feel it anyway. Okay, so that's what you're doing. Next thing, 
you explain the picture. Has anybody ever seen Catchphrase, the program Catchphrase? Does anyone know what her famous say, the famous saying is of it? Say what you see. Okay, so two gents at the back. Come on up here quickly. Oh, you two. You two, come on, lads. Come on up, okay? Just to, just, just to show you how easy this is, Mark, I want you to just say what you see on that picture for Levi as if it was catchphrase. There's a man knocking at the door to your heart. Okay, good. Your turn. It's a guy knocking on a door of a heart. Um, okay, don't worry, it's fine. He's leaning in. That's all right, that's, that's cool. Okay, good. Good boys. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just trying to get you to see that's it, really. You know, there's a the man, well, the man is Jesus. I'm going to give you a heads up on that one. That's Jesus. Okay. Jesus is knocking at the door, the door of your heart, but the handle is on the inside. Okay, that's all you're doing. So I'm just trying to get you to see, just, just explain the way it is. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, the handle's on the inside. Okay, as you can see, we just started with that. Now, on the back of these, on the back of these things, sorry, yeah. Good point. Sorry, I don't want to confuse you. No, I'm just doing that as a bit of role play, but you're, just, you're telling them what it is. So you're not asking them, what do you think? What does that mean to you? You're literally saying to them, as you can see, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, the handle's on the inside. That's it. That's what you're saying to them. So we're telling them. We're not like standing there debating and, and, and discussing it. You know, we're, we're just telling them how it is. You've got so long on the street. You've got about 30, 60 seconds max to sow into this person's life or, you, or they can be gone. It's different on the streets with the stranger. So we've got to deposit the power immediately. We've got to get rid we've got to release that power immediately, okay? So that's why we do it this way. It might seem a bit fast, but that's why we do it. Okay, so uh, knock on the door of your heart. Next one. Lots of people pray. So as you can see, there's an acronym, mnemonic of salvation. So you can follow that. That can be like little triggers to help you. Lots of people pray until you open the door. It's like talking through the, um, until you open it, it's like talking through the door. You know he's there somewhere. You don't know him personally. This is a great one to get rid of Christians. Uh, so if I, said to you, if I said to you, Jenny, you don't know Jesus personally, what would you say to me? Yes, I do. So it's perfect. So if you get believers, they'll say, well, hang on. What do you mean I don't know him personally? I do know him personally. Do you? Great. Praise the Lord. Have a nice day, brother. Next. Do you know what I mean? But what I mean is you, wanna, like, you don't want Christians hanging about because we're looking for lost people. We don't want to stand debating with believers because they love a good chinwag on the street, believers. They'll stand there, they'll yarn your face off for hours. That's not what you're looking for. So move them on. Get rid of them in a nice way. Okay. Now, religious people, people who pray, like uh, nominal religious people, where they pray before bed, or that's great for these people because they can see that, yeah, well, I know he's there, but, you know, I don't know him personally. You know, so that really just, and all the while, while you're saying this, the Holy Spirit's working on the inside, okay? He's doing something on the inside, so it'll make sense. Okay, so the first three questions are all about the picture. The next three are about sin. Okay, now people say you can't talk about sin. Well, we have three questions on it, and people don't argue. Sin is a big thing, and we need to address it. Okay, so visualize a rucksack on your back. If it was filled with all your sins, would it be heavy? What do you think people are, most people are going to say? Most people are going to say, yeah, there'd be something in it. If they say, oh, no, I've never done anything wrong in my life, generally, like, I'd say they're not ready. That's just kind of, you know, my, <laughs> my reasoning with it. Um, but, you know, you, you just let the Spirit lead you on that one. Okay, answer me this question. Who do you bank with? So if I said to Mike, if Mike was the, the person on the street, I'd say, Mike, can I ask you a quick question? Who do you bank with? If you owed Nationwide 10,000 pounds and I wrote you a check for 10 grand right now and you went and cashed it, what would happen to your debt? No more debt. 
That's what Jesus did on the cross. He wrote us all a check in his blood. And he stands here today. He says, will you cash it? Now, what I'm doing, I'm using like a lot of imagery. Uh, it's like Jesus spoke in parables, like earthly stories of heavenly meaning. We're just using a lot of imagery. Using things like the picture, the bag. They can imagine the bag, the check. It's just because it's all ages, all backgrounds, all, you know, you don't have to be super clever to understand it, but still, if you are, you can still get it. So, you know, that's, that's the way it is. Um, I do it this way because the Holy Spirit gave, gave it to me this way. I've had some great thinkers have looked at this and they're like, this thing's genius, the way it's all laid out. But I didn't know that. I just copied what the Holy Spirit said. Literally, when I got this, I would go to a stranger and I didn't know what I was saying. And the Holy Spirit would say, say this. So I'd say a line and I'd just watch them like, just like the life open up like a flower and I could deposit the truth. So this is like nine months worth of the Holy Spirit. Say that, say that, say that. And I just went and crafted it and honed it and made it in this, into this way. So it's spirit breathed. It's anointed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, which is why it works so so beautifully. Okay, so this is the question. This is the, the crux of it all. Has anyone ever uh, made a chocolate cake? Don't be shy, lads. Come on. Okay. Chocolate cake. If you left, a cho- if you left chocolate out of your chocolate cake, what would it be? Cake. You're a smart bunch. Okay, just be a cake, wouldn't it? Well, this question here, if you leave this out, this is the missing ingredient. So this is like the chocolate and the chocolate cake. This is the central ingredient for Jesus at the door. If he was here right now, would you let him in? Now, what that, what that question does, it changes everything. Because people think, one day I'll get right with God. One day I'll put my sins right. But this is, we're saying, this is the Zacchaeus moment. Right here, right now, come down the tree. That's it. And that's, that's what it's all about, this thing. It just rests upon that. If Jesus was here right now, would you let him in? And then, and then they'll tell you, well, either yes or no. If they say yes, then you've got something you've got to do. You've got to prove Jesus is here right now. Okay, who believes Jesus is in this room right now? Okay, can you prove to me Jesus is in this room right now? No, correct, neither can I. I can't prove Jesus is here right now. How can we? But I know somebody who can. What's the Holy Spirit's job on earth? To reveal Jesus, convict of sin, that's his role. Okay, his role is to to reveal Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is here. Somebody's just said, if Jesus was here, I'd, I'd respond. The Holy Spirit's here, whose job is to reveal Jesus, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? Well, happy days. Can I introduce you both? Do you know what I mean? So, so what you do is you pray. You pray in faith, and you say, I want to pray for you right now. Observe this is the way we do it. Observe the wind. Can you see the wind? No? How do you know the wind is real? You see the effects of it? If you stick your head out of a moving car, how do you know the wind is real? Yeah, you're going to feel it, aren't you? Not mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're going to feel it, aren't you? You're going to f- you feel the wind. Jesus is like, uh, like the wind. He's here right now. You can't see him, but you can feel him. Can I pray for you to feel him? Okay. And we pray. Holy Spirit, just touch him right now. Change the atmosphere on the street right now. Step out in faith. Believe it. Now, the thing about the Holy Spirit, what's so wonderful about the Holy Spirit is when you step out and believe him, he doesn't let you down ever. Not, not once. Not ever. He's not going to turn around. He's not going to say... If Mike goes, look, I just pray, Holy Spirit, just come. Holy Spirit, I'm going to say, listen, Mike, I didn't sleep well last night. I'm not, I'm not, on, I'm not pushing 100% today, you know what I mean? Can go easy on me. You know, the Holy Spirit is like, he's on it, man. He's on it before you even utter a word. He knows what's coming. So he's all over that. He's, he's moving on it. He's touching that person. But we've got to, like, believe him. It's impossible to please God without faith. So we need to start stepping out in faith. Even if they don't feel anything, which is not your job anyway, at least you've just pleased God, haven't you? This is what I tell people. I say, I'm going to pray for you now, and you're going, to feel, you're going to feel Jesus inside. When I first started this, I used to say, I'm going to pray for you now, and you might feel something. 
but, but I'm going all in, man, all chips in, because I know no matter what happens, I'm pleasing my Father. I believe he's going to do it. And if they don't feel, it's not because of the Holy Spirit, it's because of them. Two things. One, they're not ready. Or two, we've found that people are that guarded that they won't drop the guard in order to feel, which is why when a word of knowledge can really just unlock everything uh, and enable them to feel. Okay, so that's, that's the way that works. Okay, so they've said that, they've prayed. After you pray, you ask them, how did that feel? So I'd say, how did that feel? I just pray for you. How did that feel? Well, I felt this thing inside. Or, you know, that's Jesus. Like, would you believe he's here now? Off, off the back of that, yeah. If they said they didn't feel anything, again, that's not our role. Just just press a little deeper, dig a little deeper, say, well, um, would, would you have enough faith to believe he's here? And if they say, yeah, well, I'd still say, okay, well, let's let him in then. Even if they didn't feel him, as long as they can believe, you know, have enough faith and let's do it. Okay, and then the last thing. The last thing is the last thing. Turn from the road you're on. Yeah, good idea. So uh, always keep your eyes open. If you're going to put the hand on, your hand on the shoulder, ask permission. Uh, you don't have to do that, but if you want to do that, do that. Uh, yeah, and then look at them. Don't sort of do this. You know, like look at what the Holy Spirit's doing. Because you see people. Make eye contact with them is really important, you know. It can feel really awkward, but, but do it. Like when you're praying for them, just like look them in the eye as you're praying over them. And, you know, they'll see Jesus in you. Um, so do that, yeah. So the last thing. Words. Yeah, keep it short, you know, I'd say about 15 seconds max, that there's no set prayer, but, but just all you're saying is, I mean, you know, if I was, say it was Ben, I'd just say, look, I'd just be so, look, can I put my hand on your shoulder? Can I just pray for you? So I'd say, uh, Holy Spirit, I just ask you right now uh, to just touch Ben's life, let him feel you're knocking, let him know you're here, just, just touch him now, just, just let him feel it, let him feel your presence, change the atmosphere on the street, just relax with it, do you know what I mean, Don't, you know, relax, just enjoy, enjoy the ride. Just, just, you know, enjoy it. Just relax, enjoy. Don't stress about it. Uh, just listen. Like all that time, like I don't want to say too many words because I'm listening. A lot of the time, the Holy Spirit always interrupts me. I'm like praying and dear Lord, and I'll have to stop and say, Hang on, man, I need to just tell you this. So listen to the Spirit, the voice of the Spirit in that moment. He's going to say stuff. He's going to, even if you're not used to words and knowledge, you'll get used to it because this is, this is really good for it. Little thoughts, little feelings. Uh, and go with that. If not, just and then I just say, Ben, how did that feel, man? Did you feel anything inside? Just like dialogue with the person. So you want to like you want it to be relational. You don't let them standing there and you're like, da, 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 and like okay. You know, that's why the questions are designed for that. Designed for like, who do you bank with, Barclays? It's a conversation. Uh, you know, you're getting them to do that. And this is the last thing. If you're going this way in life without Jesus, you need to turn around and you need to follow him down that way. Okay, so you're going this way without Jesus at the minute. You need to leave that road behind, turn around and follow him. Now, I've heard a lot of different evangelism techniques to get done. And to me, they sound like a ticket to heaven a little bit. It's like, do you want to go, you know, do you want to, go to heaven, pray this? Great, have a nice life. But there is a cost. And the cost is, will you follow him? You're going to fall down. You're going to get dirty. But he'll, he'll lift you back up and clean you off. But you've got to be willing to, to turn. You know, which is why I say to people, if I don't feel that, that they want that, I say, look, man, I don't think you're ready at the end of the day. If they're not, you know, if they don't want to follow him, but they just want to pray a nice prayer and get a fuzzy feeling. It's not about that. You know, do you want Jesus? Uh, that's it. It's not about numbers. It's not about how many people we can get. It's about, it's about what, what the connection we can have. Uh, so can we just have a few questions, a couple of minutes, and then we'll practice and we're on the clock. What time do we go be done? Is that all right? Okay, a few questions just to help you understand that a bit more, and then we'll role play it quickly. I'll do it with someone.
Yeah. Yeah, you can do that. I mean, I've done this thing in Croydon, Sheffield, Birmingham. You know, I've, I've done it all over the UK too. And no one's ever said to me, what's sin? I'm just being honest. You know, people, I don't know why, but people seem to be aware of sin. And I'm talking about young people too. Uh, if they do get that, yeah, if you do say sin, say, well, it's, it's your wrong things. It's the wrong things you've done. The thing is, people know their conscience. They have a conscience. They know what they've done wrong, uh, generally, you know. I used to do, when I first started on the streets, I used to do the Ray Comfort thing, going through the Ten Commandments and all that. But I was like, I'm just wasting my time. People know that they've sinned. They know, they know they've done wrong, and they can feel it in their conscience, honestly. Questions? I'll help you. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, yeah, that's a good point. I'm just taking that bit for granted because I do it so often, but yeah, it's a good point. So after they've prayed with you, uh, then you say, look, you know, I want to help you take the first step in that new direction. I want to invite you along to our, uh, be part of our church family. Come along and uh, write down your details here, and we'll send you an invitation out to your via like text or whatever. And Mike's got some stuff here, hasn't he? When we do go out, uh, as well as having your got some little cards that go below on it's an invitation for them to connect at some point else church community. Um, and also, if you, if you think, uh, feel like it would be a benefit, or even if, um, even if they don't, it's not the right moment for them mm. to give their lives to but you send them, it might be up to them. I remember this happening in Coray. Um, this guy was a And if, you know, the way I say it, if, if you're not ready to open the door, would you come a bit closer and find out more? So, uh, that rhymes. Uh, so you can come along and invite them to Alpha, invite them to church, you know, whatever. But, um, so, so that's fine doing it that way, yeah. So uh, I'm going to like do a little demo on someone in a minute of the whole thing. But a few more questions just on, and no, no question too stupid, but any points that, that you think maybe, hang on, I don't understand that one, how does that work? And uh, just to help you guys understand it a little bit more. Yeah, we're good. we are going to do that. Yeah, that's what we'd like to do if we have time for that, to spend 10 minutes or so pairing up and role-playing with each other. Yeah, good question. I think, I mean, I've, I mean, we don't get very, you know, many other faiths in our community. I mean, I have met, I've met a few Muslims, I was saying that, uh, and I've prayed for a few Muslims. Uh, I had a, you know, it's the same. It's like, I, I believe it's the same. If it's an apple that's going to fall, you know, I believe the Holy Spirit will do the same. I had a Muslim guy called Muhammad, uh, and he was like wanting to give his life to Jesus and all. Um, and he went through everything, he, everything right to the end. And then I was like, well, you know, now you've got to turn and follow. And he was like, well, yeah, but I've still got to do this and still got to do that. So I was like, well, you know, I don't think you're quite, quite there yet. But, if you know, the Holy Spirit has got to give that revelation, has got to do that thing. So I think still give opportunity for that, but don't get caught in the dialogue. Don't get caught in this, in this thing where you're like an hour debating scriptures and all that. I just don't think that's... In this, with this thing anyway, I don't think it's going to work. Um, you know, how do you, how do you, yeah, how do you cut that? 
Yeah, what I would do, I'd just, just, you know, again, love at the center, just keep it, keep it pure, keep it loving, but just say, look, uh, can, I, can I pray for you? Can I just pray for you? I mean, we had, in, in Birmingham, we had a Muslim guy, and we chatted briefly, and then just said, look, can we just pray a, a blessing on you? Can we just pray God's blessing on you and your family and stuff? So we did that. He, he kindly shook our hand, and, and, and that was it. So uh, you just say, look, can we pray for you? And then you pray, and then you go. Um, just let the Spirit lead it on that one, you know what I mean? I think, you know, it might be best. Good question. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't. I'll tell you why. I've seen too many people die. And, uh, and I mean that, honestly. I've seen people, people die. People who've, who have had opportunities where they've died. Um, so this is the way I see it. If I go over to someone on the street, if I've got two minutes with them and they've got a broken arm, I don't want to just see their arm healed and they die and go to hell. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to use my two minutes to give them the, the thing that's most, uh, most worthy. Uh, and most powerful, which is the gospel. I'll pray for their arm after. I'll pray for healing after. But if I've got a short time with them, I want to deposit something that's going to be eternal. Uh, and and get, and, you know, I know they could get healed and then give their life to Jesus. But also, I'll pray for so many people. And once you get, once you pray for the, the healing, and then they've got to go, or, or you know, that sort of thing. So when I first did this, I would I would use this, um, but I would use like say like uh, Mark's miracle question if God could do one miracle for you. And just for me personally, I just felt like it was taking too long to get to where I wanted to be, which is why I dropped it. Um, and I didn't know you could just go up to someone and say, have you seen that and do you pray? I didn't know that would work, but it did. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we asked permission. Sorry, we asked permission to talk to them. So excuse me, can I ask you a quick question? I would say that because obviously that's just polite. I wouldn't just walk up to them and say, you seen that? You know, you know, so I would just like, you know, I didn't put it on there because it's kind of common sense. But just to say, excuse me, could I ask you, could I ask you a question? Uh, they say no. Yeah, I understand, I understand. But do you know what? You've got to trust the spirit there. If the Father's drawing people to you, they're going to stop. Again, I'm going to beat, beat yourself up and try and work out new ways. Just let the Holy Spirit lead you. He'll stop the, he'll stop the people. You know, trust me, he really will, you know. A few others? Anything just to help you guys? No? So can we do a little demo then? So give us a volunteer. Yes. I just want to quickly add something to some of those questions that have been asked. Um, the thing that I found most liberating about this when I um, heard Scott speak is, as I, said, I mentioned earlier, really clear what my job is and really clear what God's job is. It is not my job to prove that Jesus is real. It is not my job to make them say, yes, you can ask me a question. That's God's job. We just pedal and the Spirit guides and points us to the people. It's not my job to convince someone that they're a sinner. I've, I've experienced evangelism methods that, you know, you'll say, do you know you're a sinner? No, no, no. Well, have you ever lied? <laughs> and I leaned, like, what, who do we think we are then? Like, it's God's job to convince someone of that stuff. It's not us. So the thing that I find most liberating about this is we just have to be obedient. We just have to have enough of a heart for people, enough of a, a confidence that the gospel is the power of God to change people's lives. To go out and say, you know what? If I get rejected, if they say no, if at any point they decide they're too busy, I don't care. I don't, that's not my job. My job as a child of Jesus is to say, do you want to know him? I know him. Can I introduce, can I tell you about Jesus? And it's the Spirit's job to do the rest. So the, the pressure's off me. I might, I'm not saying I don't feel scared. 
if I go and do this? And there'll be people here thinking, I'm feeling scared about this afternoon. I'm not saying I don't feel scared, but I have to remember what's my job and what's his job. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good way of putting it. The problem is, with, the problem is with churches that we, we're not leaning on. We're not leaning on the spirit enough. You know, we're just not like we're saying that we're saying we trust them and we believe them, but we're not. We're not living it. You know, we're not. The Holy Spirit is is there. Like He's there. He's like, come on, I'm I'm here on earth to to do this thing, but we're not like leaning on Him. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, I would say personally, I would say do that stuff at the end. You know, give your testimony. You know, I have people when I'm training this stuff. Yeah, but can I just give me testimony instead? And I was like, well, do that after. You know, because if you've got uh, if you've got 30 seconds or a minute to get the gospel in, would you not want to use that time to deposit the gospel? Because, and I think this is an, the gospel in a nutshell is what I believe it is. Um, you know, uh, so if you want to go and prophesy over people instead and do that. By all means, go for it. This is a tool uh, kind of saying, like, this is what it is. If you, do, if you don't want to use it, that's okay. But it's just like, what I'd say, give it a try. Is what I'd tell people for an hour or whatever. Give it a shot and see if it's not for you. That's okay, like, because there is different things for different people. But what I would tell you is, if you want to lead people to Jesus, this will do it. Without, without a doubt, I'm so confident, that, you know. Yeah, let's do it. So, volunteer. Ben. Okay, so Ben is going to be the passerby in the street. Now, when I do this, it's funny because you get people up to role play and they'd be really, really difficult atheists. And I'm like, and I'm like, that's okay. But all I would do is say, God bless you, have a nice day. So you know, so for like for this environment, it ain't really going to be too exciting. So yeah, so so uh, you know, don't be too difficult, but you can be. You don't have to be too nice either. Just for for this circumstance. Excuse me, sir. Could I just ask you a quick question? Yeah, sure. Uh, have you ever seen this picture before? Have <laughs> 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 you ever seen this picture before? And do you ever pray? Um, I've never seen the picture. Okay. As you can see here, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. The handles on the inside, only you can let him in. Now, lots of people pray, especially in times of need or crisis. Praying is just like talking through a door. You know he's there somewhere, but you don't know him personally. Now, uh, if you visualize a rucksack on your back, if we filled it with all your sins, would that be a heavy bag? And you're not alone, let's be honest. Everybody's done something they shouldn't have done, you know. Uh, and that's your debt with God. It's called sin. Now, answer me this. Who do you bank with? Uh, Barclays. If you owe Bar Barclays, common bank around here. If, if you owe Barclays 10 grand and I wrote you a check right now for 10 grand and you went and cashed it, what's going to happen to your debt? It's going to be gone and I'll be your new best friend, yeah? And what Jesus did on the cross, he wrote you a check in his blood. Everybody, one check for one time. No matter how big or small your debt, he paid the check to clear it. And he stands here today, he says, I've paid your debt. Will you give me your heart and let me in? If Jesus was here right now, 
And if he said that to you, would you let him in? Okay, that's fair enough. Okay, let me ask you this. Observe the wind. How do you know the wind is real? You feel it, yeah. You feel it blowing, don't you? So Jesus is like the wind, okay? He's here right now. Okay, and what I'd like to do is pray for you that you could feel him. And then you'll know he's here. So can I pray for you right now? And you can, you'll be able to feel him inside. Is that okay? Can I put my hand on your shoulder? So Holy Spirit, again, I pray for Ben. He's getting all the blessing today. <laughs> just, just ask you to touch him. Fill him with your love. Fill him with your touch. Fill him with your presence. Just pray for him. Just ask the Lord to touch him. Just listen. See what the Lord says. Bless him. Just let him feel it right now. And feel the power of your love. And feel the joy of heaven. Rock his world, we pray. In Jesus' name. Okay, Ben, let me ask you, man. Do you feel anything inside at all when I was praying there? Would you have enough faith to believe Jesus is here now? I know you can't see him, but by faith. Yes, yeah. Okay. So two options, what you can do. You can take a step of faith and say, Jesus, I believe you're here. I want to know you. And for that to happen, you've got to leave the road you're on. You've got to turn around and you've got to follow him. Or you can say, I'm maybe not sure yet. I want to come a bit closer. I want to find out more. Okay. And then, so which one of those options would you prefer? Yeah, that's good. It sounds like you're at that place. So I'd probably recommend that. So we'll invite you along. Get a bit closer to the door. Come along to check our new believers group out and find out a little bit more about Jesus. Is that okay? Good man. So then I just get his details and stuff. Now, if he had have said, now let's do one where he says, yeah, he's here. I want to let him in. Okay, so did you feel anything? Yeah. Okay, would you want to let him in? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to pray with you now uh, to open, open that door. So if you just repeat this short prayer with me, and what you're doing to Jesus is saying, come on in. I want to follow you. Okay, and then when you pray, if you haven't prayed for anyone to do this, keep the prayers very short. Uh, you sh- I try and use the language I've used in the in the tool already, so it's familiar with them. People come out with these long sentences, and people are like, "Should I be following? Or shouldn't I?" It gets really messy. Keep it real short. Dear Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart. I say sorry for my sin. I choose to follow you. Make you Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus' name, I thank you today. I can call myself a Christian. And then I maybe read some And then I say, okay. So Ben, listen, I'd love to invite you along just to take those first steps, this new direction. Church, we just want to invite you along. Just fill this out there. Okay, cool. That's it.